We would ask that you do pray for our, our Sunday school classes as there uh, some changes in 2023, different teachers, different classes. Uh, I'm blessed to have those who are willing to serve for sure. Uh, for those who remain, turn in your Bibles to Jude. Uh, I owe Steve big for how much he covered for me over the last month. Um, so I'm going to teach the, one of the smallest books in the Bible. Uh, but uh, we're going to take our time, so that is a joke. It, there's at least eight lessons I've already written for Jude, uh, and I've discovered in going over my outlines quite a few verses that I never touched, so more to be written. Uh, so Steve and I will work out the details as far as whether I'll just go through the whole thing and pick him back up in April, or uh, if we're going to go every other Sunday, we'll figure it out. But I do want to uh, look at Jude, and we'll read the entire thing, but we're really only going to focus on the first two verses here this morning, Lord willing. Uh, Jude is just one chapter, in case you didn't get the joke. It is at the end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. Uh, Reve Revelation, I know I'm not teaching it, but it's only one. Uh, just a pet peeve of mine. Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And this is really, this verse here is the reason why we're doing this study, because we ended 2022 asking a lot of questions. And there's still quite a few questions that uh, we'll be dealing with in the coming months of, of some of the outlines that I've looked at. Um, I think the I was giving the banner issue for February to the ladies to proof and every one of the main topics, every all four of the main articles are questions as well. Um, there's a lot of questions for us to answer. And what he is uh, speaking to here is the earnest contention for the faith, which we need to be prepared to do. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for it. One, uh, I'm, I'm leaving one way or another. I'm either going to go graduate and go to, the, to heaven if the rapture doesn't come first, or the Lord may see fit to put me somewhere else. And the men and the women left behind must have discernment. You must be able to stand on your own. Sadly, that transition, and I'm, I'm not forecasting, I have nowhere that I'm desirous to go, uh, and I trust all that to the Lord, but that transition for the future is going to look very different, because currently we don't have a Chris running the helm of the banner. Discernment is crucial to the protection of the Lord's church. Discernment is crucial to the protection of the Lord's mission work, and we've been entrusted with both. So pray for these things, consider these things, and take them very seriously. Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before old ordained of this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. James says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of that great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. 
And we see here, and in my Bible, it's right across the column, we see an example of contending for the faith from an angel. It's very different, and we'll get into those differences when we get to those verses, but uh, what an example. He didn't give in. He didn't attack Moses. He didn't take vengeance, or uh, the devil. He didn't uh, take vengeance on the devil. He trusted it to the Lord. Verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots." Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words that were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, which is a natural transition for us to come to Jude because we read of Paul writing this to Timothy when we were doing our uh, questions for Christians during perilous time study. Verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in, love of God, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto them that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, or now and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we approach this book, Lord, I ask again that you would soften our hearts and remove the distractions, Lord, that we would truly feed off of what you have for us. Help us, Father, to be eager and desirous to have an understanding of your word. Help us to identify the times for what they are, to identify the dangers of, that, uh, that present themselves in our lives, the weeds in our own testimonies, if you will. Help us, Father, to learn discernment, and if we have it, to strengthen it. Help us to be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. We ask, Father, your blessings on the Sunday school classes in the other room, that these little ones be encouraged to come unto thee. We ask, Father, for a strengthening for our people in this year, a preparedness in our hearts, and, a, and an urgency in our deliverance of the gospel and our forgiveness of others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My hope and prayer, if the Lord continues to allow us to do this study, is that when we get to verses 11, and there's so many things, I mean, Jude covers a lot of ground in just one chapter, in one letter. My prayer is that by the conclusion of this study, we have an idea who Kor is, Balaam, and some of these other things that he makes mention of. I think many know Cain. If you've really looked at verse 11, uh, there's a progression in education when he pronounces this woe. Many know who Cain are, but after Cain, they probably have heard of Balaam. 
And by the time you get to core, it's spelled a little differently, you might not have a clue who he's talking about. Lord willing, if we take our time through this study, uh, we'll, we'll give all diligence to make sure that we expound on these things. That we understand this letter from Jude, who, he, who he's talking about, who he's referencing, and who he's writing to. The very first thing we want to notice here is verses 1 and 2. It says, Jude the servant, and this word servant is a reference to a bondman. Strong's defines it as one who gives himself to another's will. Uh, we would use the word slave, but in 2023 it carries a different connotation, a different weight, uh, and, and a bit of unwillingness. And Jude is by, sh by no means here uh, being forced, uh, unwilling, if you will, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who he lists himself to be a servant or a bondman of, of Jesus Christ. He mentions himself to be brother of James, and there's some speculation there as to whether he's the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ or the brother of, of some other James. I, I don't have facts, so I'll just leave it be, but understand that there are commentators that support both. But then he says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. And I want to stop there. I want to deal with sanctification today using Jude as our text. And Lord willing, uh, the next lesson we'll look at preservation or that very next phrase, preserved in Jesus Christ. And then the third lesson, called, and so on, and so on, and so on. Sanctified by God the Father. The word sanctified, and this is the exact definition from Strong's, and I, and I feel comfortable giving that to you because we are just a few weeks removed from the bulletin that explained the benefit of a Strong's concordance. So here's an example of its benefit. Our attempt to understand the word sanctified, to preach on the word sanctified, we need to know what it means. It is a Greek word. When you use your Strong's uh, concordance, it'll start with an H or a G and then give you a number. And that tells you what kind of word it is. G being Greek, H being Isaac, any idea? Hebrew. Hebrew. Very good. So it says that this is a Greek word, hagiazo. It means to make holy, i.e. ceremonially purify or consecrate, mentally to venerate. And these aren't wasted words, so please hang with me. The meaning that we're reading here, they're not contradictory. All of this is meant in the word and the usage of sanctified or hagiazo. Mentally, it means to venerate, to hallow, to be holy or sanctify, to render or acknowledge or to be venerable or hallow. Not hollow, hallow. To separate from profane things and dedicate to God. One might think of 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them. Be ye separate. This is a reference to sanctification. It also has reference to consecration. It says to consecrate, to make or declare sacred, to dedicate for a specific purpose things to God, to dedicate people to God, to purify, to cleanse externally, to purify by expiation, free from the guilt of sin, to purify internally by the renewing of the soul. These are the definitions, and I'll say the definition, of sanctified. It means all of these things. This particular usage of the word sanctified doesn't mean one or another uh, part of this definition. It means all of it. Let me use it again in its text. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. God the Father has been known to do what? To do things completely. Why is that important? Because no one else can do it. No one else can come in behind and finish it. No one else can come in behind and perfect it but God himself. We know in other places in the, in the scriptures that Jesus Christ is used to perfect it, but Jesus Christ is part of who God is. He is God himself. 
So we see here a complete usage of the word sanctification, written by Jude, but inspired by, once again, God, the Holy Spirit. Sanctified by whom? And I just have a few points. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, uh, being Sunday school, but sanctified by whom? Sanctified by what method? Sanctified by what purpose? And sanctified for how long are our points? We'll deal first with sanctified by whom. And if you'll turn over to 1 Peter, and we're at that end of the Bible, so I encourage you to do so. It's not that laborious. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. We read, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed or to cause to be released to oneself by payment of a ransom, this is the definition of redeemed, as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your father, but with the precious blood of Christ. This blood is the source of our atonement. Furthermore, it is the only source of any atonement. In the Old Testament, the blood of animals rolled sins forward. It didn't release them. It didn't remove them. It rolled it forward. Rolled it forward to what? The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the true atonement, the blood, the power of his very blood. You were not redeemed by silver, by gold, by the almighty U.S. dollar, by the waving of a, a royalty hand, by the, the, the forgiveness of the Pope, by the acknowledgement of the President of the United States. Those are corruptible things. Hear me. We get tied up in knots and in an uproar over those exact things, but those are corruptible things. The Lord had never pronounced those things to be uncorruptible. History has shown time and time and time and time again, all of those things are corruptible things. Praise the Lord with me now that you were not redeemed by those corruptible things. You were redeemed if you're here and born again, if salvation's been revealed unto you, and if salvation has yet to be revealed to you, but you are of the elect, you were redeemed by something perfect, by something incorruptible, by something kept by God himself, that being the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As of a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, some will take issue with that before the foundation of the world. And first, I want to point out to you that scripture, deal with it. It's right there, the found, before the foundation of the world. And if you think back to the def definition I gave of sanctified, it had to be before the foundation of the world. He's not going through in present day and saying, oh, Isaac is precious. I shall sanctify him. That's not the definition of sanctification. The definition that we read was that he would be consecrated beforehand. So we see here a reference by Peter of something that has happened that was foreordained before the foundation of the world, and there we find sanctification. Who by him do believe in God? What's that? That's faith that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, and your father and hope might be in God. And we're not studying Peter. 
We've defined a lot of things there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. The first time we see this word sanctified is back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to read it to you, just the one verse. But it says in Genesis 2, 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in he had rested from all his work which God created and made. This Hebrew word is sabbat, or uh, commonly referred to as sabbath. And it is used for, uh, this Hebrew root for, for rested, rather, is Sabbath or Sabbath. And it does mean to rest, but it also means to celebrate. It's used over in Leviticus 23, verse 32 as such. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. So resting and celebrating have a connection here. Now, God's not encouraging celebration like what you may have seen nine days ago. We don't watch the ball drop anymore, haven't for quite a few years. You just can't. If, you're, uh, if you sanctify your home, if you protect your children at all, you just can't watch that anymore. But that's how the flesh celebrates. You know, it, it, historically, Saturnalia would have ended right around the time of that, would it have not? And it would have uh, involved multiple orgies. This is his history. This isn't your pastor trying to be offensive. Saturnalia tied to what we now call Christmas. Go back and look at what these things are. And you wonder why they're drunk and crazy on New Year's Eve. They always have been. Such were we. Such were we without the grace of God. Without this very sanctification. Without the forethought and the foreordination. Without the blood of the Lamb. We too would be wallowing in the mud. May the Lord receive all honor and praise. You who have been sanctified by the Father are the celebration of the Father. He pauses after the work of creation. He says that it is good, it is very good. He rejoices and delights in what he hath made. Exodus chapter 29, verses 42 through 46 it says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons, to minister to me in the priest's office, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. We see the words of the Lord here in Exodus 29 as a series of I will statements. I will meet you to speak there unto thee. I will meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And we went through the attributes of God and we understand that he is absolutely holy. And absolute holiness does not dwell in absolute filth. They are opposed to one another. And salvation is for his namesake as we taught last fall. So we understand that there had to be sanctification for there to be a dwelling with those people. There had to be sanctification for him to 
sanctify their tabernacles, to sanctify their people, to sanctify their priests, to sanctify... He wasn't doing it for them. He was doing it for his own name's sake. John 15, verses 1 through 6. Very familiar passage, especially with uh, the study that we do in our afternoons. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine. And my father, the husbandman, or the gardener, the one who tends to the vine, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. We see here benefits of sanctification. But again, as we're studying sanctified by whom, we see that there is a great gardener a husbandman that tends to the vine. There is a vine itself, which is the Lord Jesus, that feeds the branches, that gives life unto the branches. So we see a, a life-giving and a pruning that comes from without, not from within. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And he, by the grace of God, should taste death, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Listen to this part, and if you mark your Bibles, you might want to mark it. For both he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified, are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. This one's not in the notes, but I quoted it earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we see here a, a rephrasing of the same promise, an unashamedness of God the Father, of those he had sanctified and brought unto himself by Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Let us therefore be without doubt and murmuring that this holy sanctification is of the Lord. It is a good thing for consecration of the mind, for sanctification ceremonially, as we've discussed in the, de the definition of this word. Secondly, by what method are we sanctified? And we alluded to this, but let us chase this one down as well. In his prayer, in John 17, verses 17 through 19, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Back in John chapter 1, the Lord reveals himself to be the living word, does he not? 
And what do we know has to occur for regeneration, for an effectual calling? We generally refer to it as the general call, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ to a sinner. Repentance comes from that schoolmaster of the law revealing unto one their guilt, their sinfulness, their need of a deliverer or a redeemer. So we see this powerful truth, this powerful word has a continual role to play for the born again. What is this truth? Going to chase down a lot of verses here again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. And again, if you mark your Bibles, these next few words are important. Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. By what method are you sanctified? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Brother Simon Peter speaks to this again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, there's a warning against traditions of men again, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, that precious blood. The body of the Lord broken for our sin, our depraved natures. Something thought about before the foundation of the world was our needfulness for his blood. The life force of his human body poured out and multiplied for as many as he would cause to believe. Hebrews 10.10 says we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So we are sanctified by Christ and we are sanctified through Christ, through the spirit and the belief of the truth. Hebrews, a little bit later in chapter 10, Hebrews 10 verses 12 through 14, but this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, if you haven't already marked that, you ought to mark that as well, forever there'll never be another sacrifice for the sins of man it was offered once forever and after that he sat down at the right hand of god which is where stephen finds him standing at the right hand of god when he preaches his sermon in Acts seven from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified and thirdly, and probably the last point we're going to get to this morning, for what purpose are we sanctified? For what purpose are we sanctified? Again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Simon Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When I was uh, first attending a Baptist church, as many of you know, I was raised Catholic, 
I used to skip the introductions of these letters. I, I used to think they all say the same thing. To you, Christians, fill in the blank with uh, multiple descriptions. Here is the blessing that I've been charged to write. And, and on and on and on we go as our eyes roll back in the back of our heads. But as we've already seen in Jude's letter, this first two verses are very important. Again, the, the verse breaks come in translation. They didn't write them that way. But we even see in Simon Peter's first letter, in his introduction, a great revelation as to the importance of our inheritance. It is incorruptible. This incorrupted, or corrupted must put on the incorruptible. And our inheritance is incorruptible. Our inheritance undefiled. It fadeth not away, and it is reserved. Here's the connection with sanctification. This inheritance is reserved in heaven for anybody who wants to claim it. Nope. For your neighbor if you don't want it. Nope. Uh, well, there's a certain amount of it there, and if and Sister Janine wants to give it away, she can, but it's there for her to decide what to do with. No. It is reserved in heaven for you. The salvation, the exact amount, atonement in perfect measure for Sister Janine is reserved in heaven for Sister Janine. It can't be shared. It can't be multiplied. It can't be redistributed. can't be sold off. can't be reinvested. This is true treasure. And her name is all over it. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 through 57, probably one of the most referenced uh, verses when it comes to the corruptible and the incorruptible and the victory that we have in Jesus, but let us consider it nonetheless. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 through 57, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, this is what we look to, folks. This is what's ahead. When will it get here? There's a lot of theories. But what we do know is it will come quickly. It will come quickly. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put, away, put, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about life itself, and, and, and for all history, it's always ended the same way. Uh, there, there are two in which it didn't end that way. We will be without life in this flesh at some point. I know many want to argue that that will never happen to me. Uh, and some will even argue, well, thanks to the rapture, that won't happen to me. Well, you'll depart one way or another. Uh, it's like one of those horrible video games we played as kids where we think as Pac-Man you've really got a chance, but those ghosts just keep coming back. It's a funny thing about ghosts. They're already dead. They just keep coming back. And eventually they're going to corner you and you're going to go raw, 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 and disappear. Every person in this room, there is an appointed date, your raw, 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 raw date, where you will disappear. You will cease from existence. Your body will be buried and perhaps I'll be the one 
to cast that last dirt upon your, your grave and offer the gospel once more. What will you do with the time you have left? You might not make it to the next message. You've seen here the importance of sanctification and the truth of sanctification and heard the hope that is the gospel, this precious truth that was also sanctified and used for your sanctification and after the revelation of your salvation, it's used for your edification. Why? So we can be a bunch of smart nobodies? No, you're edified for a work that needs to be done. I don't know that we think about that very often. But the edification that each of us receives, we, we all have a different battlefront. We're all in the same war against sin, against, uh, against the devil, one that will conclude in the battle of Armageddon. But we all have different fronts. And we're being edified, we're being trained to be used. I, I, one of the first Sunday school lessons I ever heard Steve teach, he talked about no soldier dying untrained. I'll never forget it. I've referenced it in multiple sermons. Sometimes I give them credit. <laughs> Sometimes I hang on to it for my own. But it's a challenge because we're all soldiers. Some of us will die on this battlefield standing for the truth. Others are called to go home and pray and pray and pray and pray for those on the front lines. The mission field, unfortunately, beloved friends, is no longer overseas. The mission field is no longer the Philippines, Peru, Mexico, Thailand. The gospel is needed there. The gospel is needed everywhere. But we are the mission front now. We are a place in which missionaries are sent to. If you're here and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. You have a work to be done. This edification you've received here today, it should challenge you. And if it's something you believe, it should charge you. You have a work to do. Whether it be sharing gospel at the flea market, sharing the gospel at the gas pump, taking it to uh, the politicians, maybe becoming a politician yourself. It's funny, I was listening to our own senator talk about how uh, we need to uh, put uh, term limits in and everything else, but not, not even him. And I agree with a lot of the things he said, and some of you know who it is because I've shared his stuff. Uh, not even the best of politicians has said, well, how come Farmer Brown, preacher sitters, and so on and so forth, why don't they run? They don't want us to run. They don't want us involved. Beloved friends, we have a power from on high to share this gospel from whatever pulpit or podium or gas pump it is that we are led to. Let us be charged and take this work very seriously. Mark up your Bibles and write it upon your heart. There is a battle being waged. It's not a war that's coming. We're already in it. It's the worst kind of war. We've been in it for years and we don't even know it. Pray for one another. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Let's close with a word of prayer.